Well, good deal. Hey, everybody, I'm Steve Hambrick, lead pastor here at Vintage. We're glad that you're here. Just uh, thank you, Pat. I appreciate that. You're the only one who cares, man. I feel the love, serious love, bro. All right. But hey, um, if you're a part of the Scotland mission team that's leaving this week, could you please stand right where you are? Let everyone see you. Kind of just a little spin around. Yeah, right here, right here. James is not going to Scotland. He's walking. Neither is Sydney. But hey, so just stay standing. So if you're around these guys, we just want to pray for them. We're going to work with our uh, missionary Lance Cantor, who's in Scotland, and do some work over there with YWAM. And so if you don't mind, just kind of put your hands towards them. Uh, or if you could, just put your hands on them if you're right, right near them. And uh, yeah, so let's just pray. So Father, we thank you for this team. We, we thank you for their commitment. God, in their faithfulness to go, we pray, Lord, just for our team, for unity for the team. We pray for safe travels. I pray, God, just grace upon every step that they take. I do pray, God, to be a blessing for Lance and the team at YWAM. We pray, God, to just be a blessing to this team, that, Lord, they would come back changed. God, and because of that time, which would then cause us to be changed as they pour themselves out into us. And so, Jesus, we love you. We thank you for this calling that you've given. We're asking now that you'd breathe your breath upon them of peace, the fruit of your spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. And we do pray, God, this gifts of your Holy Spirit, God, would flow through them as we're on this trip for people that they pray for and minister to and engage on a daily basis. We love you, Jesus. We pray for them now in your name. Amen, amen, and amen. Yeah, thank you guys, and uh, we're excited for y'all's trip and for what God has for that. Let me go ahead and just give you a heads up this morning. If you have not been here, we are in the study of the book of Acts, but really just looking at the first seven chapters, the first seven chapters, you are more than welcome to read the entire thing, okay, I'm saying, but we're just looking at the first seven chapters, and this morning, I'm looking at Acts chapter 2. If you were here last week, you know Mark had a, Mark nice one who led us in a morning of prayer and worship, I hope that I heard it was a powerful time. We were with Sarah over at Sanford for parents weekend, but heard great things. And this morning, we're going to dive back in and just looking at the whole of chapter two. Now, let me just say this. Here, take a deep breath and then release. We're covering the entire thing this morning. All right. So it's going to be a lot of information in one morning. I'm going to be talking like a little bit faster than I normally do. I'm going to cover all the way from verse 1 to verse 45. I feel bad for the last two verses. They're not getting thrown in, but it'll be okay, right? They'll be fine. And so we're going to look at those first 45 verses this morning, uh, primarily looking at the first four and then verses 42 through 47. It's going to be fun. If you miss anything, you got two options. You email me. I do manuscript form for all of my sermons, so almost every word I'm saying is going to be on here, I'll just email it to you. You can have it. Or two, you can just go back to YouTube yourself and watch it for yourself. Okay. So everybody get ready. We're going to dive in a little bit like a fire hydrant and hopefully it's amazing. If not, I apologize in advance and hopefully there's grace for me. All right. So when we read Acts chapter two, the first thing that we see happening, and this is important, the first thing we see happening is the fulfillment of Jesus's promise that believers would be baptized in the Holy Spirit. This is really, this is incredibly important. The result is we know it would be empowerment. We talked about it for several months. And then witnessing, witnessing to the truth of Jesus wherever they went, specifically to those who did not know Jesus, those who were outside of the church. The witness part is quickly evident as we go all the way through, like, verse 5 down to verse, like, 41. As we see Peter get up 
He clearly, clearly empowered by God's Spirit, he proclaims the, the, the gospel, and there's unbelievable fruit as thousands of people give their lives to Jesus. I encourage you to read through it, see the gospel message, see, I'm not talking about these verses this morning, but see Peter's home the fulfillment of Joel's prophecy that God's Spirit be poured out on all flesh, man, female, Greek, non-Greek, Jew, whatever it may be, God's Spirit's poured out, right? And people were convicted by the message. The, the spiritual gift of evangelism was flowing through Peter to the gospel message, and thousands were just cut to the quick of their heart. They were convicted of their sin, recognizing they were responsible for Jesus's death, and they were saved and brought into the family of God. Amen? It's beautiful. It's beautiful to see this. The fruit was outstanding. But the thing I want us to recognize is this first part of Acts 2, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it is key for this morning It is key for every previous message we've spoken about, Luke or Acts, and it's the key center point for the rest of what we look at in the book of Acts. Everything hinges on these four verses. Let's read these quickly. These are super familiar to you. It's on the screen. You can follow along in your own Bible. It says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together. In one place. They'd been there for quite a period of time, over a month, right? Just in this room, and they're going in and out for stuff, but they are in the upper room doing life and they are praying together in unity. Unity being the key word. They were unified in their purpose of going after Jesus and being together and doing life together. And then they pick up this piece again, right? They have Pentecost arrived, they're all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them, rested on each of them and they were all filled, baptized with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And then after that, people hear them with the gift of interpretation to hear them in their own language, right? The gifts of the Holy Spirit right here, the gift of tongues, interpretation of tongues expressed right here is beautiful and it is powerful. Listen, I believe that this was the fulfillment of Jesus's entire ministry, Jesus' life, Jesus' death, and Jesus' resurrection all pointed to this moment. It was the thing that Jesus lived for. It's the thing that he died for. It's the thing that he was raised for was to say, hey, I did my part. But now I want you to see what my life looked like. I want you to see about my sacrifice. I want you to know about the power that raised me from the dead. And now I want you to wait for the empowerment and the fulfillment of my life, which is being now empowered with my spirit so you can go be me. I would say this. The cross and the resurrection are incomplete without the infilling and sending of God's Spirit at Pentecost. I would think that's great that Jesus could do it, but everything for Jesus was, listen, I want you now to go be me, but I need you to wait for it. 
I want you to wait for it. I want you to wait for my spirit. If the spirit had not come, Pentecost had not occurred, then Jesus' mission on earth would never have been accomplished. Why? Because no human being would have the ability or the power or the in, in and of themselves to do the things that Jesus did or to do the things Jesus commanded them to go do in his name. It required the work of God's spirit in their life. Pentecost had not occurred, then Jesus' mission on earth never would have been accomplished. It's kind of a big deal, right? Kind of a big deal. No human being has that power or ability. Therefore, moving forward in Acts, every story, every story we read points back to this moment. If Jesus had not sent his spirit then Peter could not have gone to the house of Cornelius and seen the first Gentile saved. If the Spirit had not been sent and then baptized Paul, unless you were Jewish by culture here, we would not be saved today. Thank God that he sent Jesus and that he sent his Spirit and that the disciples listened and obeyed and waited in the upper room for this moment. Everything hinges on this. All of Acts chapter 1 points to this. In fact, you know, you know, we talked about this. It's Luke 1, Luke 2, right? Luke wrote, with the gospel of Luke, he wrote Acts. There are book 1, book 2. I would say all of Luke and Acts chapter 1 pointed to these four verses. And then all of Luke chapter Luke 2, right? This book of Acts then points back to this moment. This is important. This is imperative. So in this, in this today, as God's people, I believe that just as they were in need of God's spirit, we are still in need of God's power. And I believe God's spirit is available to us today. Now, for the sake of conversation and unity in the body, it's important to say unity. Go after it for unity in the body. I want to give you a quick teaching around the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's like a quick notes, like a spark notes version of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. What I'm going to give you today is I'm going to give you kind of what evangelical Christianity has had as their mindset around the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to give you three specific evangelical teachings around the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I have my own opinion on which one I think is right, but I will tell you in all three, I've held each of them somewhere in the context of my life, and it's not my desire this morning to tell you which one to believe. I'm just going to give you all three and you can pray into it and go study it for yourself. I'm going to give you four resources to go look at for yourself, right? It's not my job to teach you everything. It's the Holy Spirit's job to teach you everything. You just need to go invest and ask him to hear for put it on the screen for me, please. Books on the Holy Spirit, the person and the work of the Holy Spirit by R.A. Torrey. Right? Just go read that. He's an old English guy. He's pretty smart. I like it. Number two is Forgotten God by Francis Chan, the most modern. He does a great job of talking about this, the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. You can also read another book. I don't have it on here called The Baptism of the Holy Spirit by A.W. Tozer. He's just super smart and great. I love him. 
The third book is Power Lines. This is probably the most profound book written on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It says what great evangelical leaders believe about the Holy Spirit from 1850 to 1930. This name's important. Why is it important? Because she literally takes all of the people that you believe in, you love, all the ones that you think are amazing. She takes all of their theology, writes a chapter about it, shows you that almost every single one of them had a differing opinion on the Holy Spirit, different language around the Holy Spirit, different conviction of what it meant to be filled or baptized with the Holy Spirit. At the end of the book, she says, I don't care what you believe, how you think about it, what you do, just go after it, right? Just go after it. I think we get so caught up in being right in the the church that sometimes we just break relationship on things that really just are like just opinions, right? Which is what this is. And the fourth one is systematic theology from Wayne Gruden. The book is like this thick. I've read the entire thing. I'm just kidding. No, it's like this thick. And the whole idea is he takes all theology and just kind of writes about it. But he has one chapter between 20 and 30 pages long on the baptism of the Holy Spirit, right? He's a good reformed guy who believes in the work of God's Spirit. He even says, I have no other systematic theology book I know of has a chapter on the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but because the charismatic church is growing, is the only part of the growing church in all of the world, I want to write a chapter because it's so important. And it's a phenomenal chapter, phenomenal chapter around the, this, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Again, and all four of these books have differing opinions on what it is, how, how it's expressed, and what it looks like, and the verbs around it, right? Super fun. All right, so here we go. With that in mind, here are the three Three theological primary views on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You can go up on the screen. Number one, you receive all the Holy Spirit at salvation. Two, it's the second work of grace. And third, unlimited works of grace. So here we go. The, it's an after the inaugural event of God baptizing his people with the Holy Spirit. The idea is that every subsequent believer that is baptized or filled completely with God's Spirit at salvation that they have all the Holy Spirit they will ever have or need, but he, the Holy Spirit is accessible to them at all times. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 is their proof text. So it says, for in one spirit, for in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. So with one spirit, we were baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks or slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of the one spirit. So the idea is like there's just one spirit, one baptism that happens, Right. And so most of our mainline, non-charismatic denominational churches hold this view around the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The second, this is more of a charismatic view, is that we receive the Holy Spirit for salvation. Excuse me, is what's the next one? Go back to it. I don't have it on my schedule time on here. Go back to it. Thank you very much. Second work of grace. Second work of grace. That we receive the Holy Spirit for salvation as the first work of God's grace or God's gift, Right? We receive the Holy Spirit for salvation as the first work of God's grace. But like Pentecost, there is a second work of grace or a second gift after salvation where we are baptized in the Holy Spirit with power for ministry. So the idea says you're baptized with water and you are baptized with fire, right? Baptism of water for them would be baptism into salvation, baptism with fire. So the picture I've always used growing up was you have like you get saved, like a pilot light comes on, right? 
And all of a sudden with that pilot light, second work of grace, it's like God just dumps fuel on you, hits the fire, explodes like this, and now you are aflame for the world to see, empowered by God's spirit, second work of grace. And the third one is an ongoing work of grace. And I'm just cheating here. That's what Wayne Grudem talks about a lot. I love it. I think it's a really interesting idea. But he says, we receive the Holy Spirit at salvation, but we are subsequently filled again and again and again as an ongoing of work of grace in our lives as we have need, this is important, in varying degrees of intensity. So his point is saying, for those who have experienced the second work of grace, it's just because there's such a moment, such a moment of, of repentance and of surrender to the Lord in such a, a moment just of, of, of God's love for them. It's like an ecstatic experience that feels like a second work of grace. But it actually may be like the 10th or 11th work of grace. It just feels different because the intensity level that God does sometimes, an expression of love, right? And so he says in that, he said, I don't believe in just one or just two. I believe in ongoing work of grace. And again, the, 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 the scripture here would be like an Acts 4, 8 where they're all filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts 4.31, again, all filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts 13.9, again, all filled with the Holy Spirit. It's all the same language. Present tense imperative for the baptism of the Holy Spirit that they were literally, as they were at Pentecost, filled with God's Spirit again. Right? It's just the argument. These are three opinions. People, all great theologians, have studied all three and written lots of books about why they think that their view is accurate. Right? These are just three. Again, I'm not going to say which one to believe, but I think it's important for you to figure it out. It takes a study time for yourself. I can say this morning again that I've held each of these views at different points of my life and my spiritual walk. I do have an opinion today, and if you pressed me on it, I might tell you. But in all of it, it's just an educated opinion. It's just an educated opinion. Theology for so much is an educated opinion on different things that I could be wrong in, except for what? The non-negotiables. We have our non-negotiables, right? Jesus is the only way to get to heaven. The cross happened and Jesus was raised from it. He is the only way to get to heaven. We have our primary conviction non-negotiables around salvation. But then there are some non-negotiables. Like growing up, it's like baptism with water. Can you be sprinkled or do you have to be dunked, Right? Or over here, do I, do I, am I, am I I'm an old, like a creationist, like I'm an old creation, new creation, right? And I would say the baptism of the Holy Spirit is the same, that these are all really important. But there's negotiables and non-negotiables. And so in this, it's important that we just study it and recognize it in this. It's just going to be an opinion. But I do feel this way about it, that all of us, I think that we have these places, we need to be educated, have an opinion and never separate over it. So the first thing I want to say about it is this. Give grace to those who view things differently. Right? View, just give grace to those who view things differently. Because here's the point. You may be the one who's wrong. Like, I'll never forget in high school, I argued with this mom for one hour on the phone. I was 17. She was old, like 40. And I argue with her a full hour on the phone. 
And then 10 years later, I'll call her and say, I believe what you believe now, right? It was just one of those funny things. She's like, I figured you would change, whatever it was, right? But it was super funny. We got in this great argument at the end of the phone call, like, but I love you, da 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 So in this, she was the one who's wrong. Remember, all these pieces around negotiables and non-negotiables, I just think this. I think it's really, really sad when the church splits over negotiables. Really sad. And so in this... Should I study it? Absolutely. Is the baptism of the Holy Spirit important? Vital. Vital. Should it divide us? Absolutely not. Will you find a clear, definitive, biblical answer when you study it? Yeah. And you could be wrong about it. Because it's going to be an opinion. Because you're basically based off of how you read it and understand Scripture and recognize that somebody else who's just as smart as you sees it differently. Now, with that, then where do we land, Steve? Where do we go with this? I believe there are some principles around the baptism of the Holy Spirit we need to agree upon. This is not exhaustive. You might be able to create your own. Okay? So if you want to create your own, just email them to me. Say, hey, I thought about this one. You were wrong. You should have added this. I'm just kidding, right? Don't say that. But just say, hey, here's what I was thinking about. What do you think about it? We have a dialogue about it. Number one, you must be a Christian for the Holy Spirit to be in you to empower you. That's a super simple vital number one. It sounds elementary, but it's true. The, only, the Holy Spirit will not empower a person for a, for, for a life that does not belong to him. So if you, listen, if you are an unbeliever, like you don't have not asked Jesus into your heart, and you're asking God to give you the ability to conquer sin, sorry, you don't have God's spirit in you enabling you to do that. You first have to give your life to Jesus, and then he will excitedly empower you for the works that he has for you and to conquer sin. So good news. If you don't know Jesus, you can, and then you can be empowered. It's super great. What a gift, right? Second, the baptism of the Holy Spirit in our lives is imperative for us to believe and lean into, for without it, we are helpless in affecting kingdom change, right? Like, we are incapable in our own strength, but God's Spirit, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, that is now in us, empowers us. So third, we must surrender to the Holy Spirit's leading in our lives. In all three views, our goal is always the same. Get out of God's way and let him move in our lives. For all three views. So I disagree with you all. I love you, brother, right? But man, can we agree? We need to surrender to God's spirit and let him move powerfully through us. Amen, brother. Amen. Let's go, right? That's just how it is. So we want to surrender. We surrender. In fact, when you read through power lines, it's super fascinating. All different language, but one of the things you will always find that's similar. I have a moment of conviction that I've been living even as a Christian in my own strength. And God led me, one, to repentance. Right? What is repentance? I've been walking this way. God says, that's the wrong way. Repent. So I turn and start walking in the other. Super simple, right? And so repentance is always a part of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But second then is once I've done that, then I surrender myself and say, my life is yours as a living sacrifice. I actually live with the conviction that for the Spirit of God to move in all three of these, it's actually 100% about repentance and surrender to his leading. It's as simple as that. 
Uh, fourth, <clears throat> expect the Spirit of God ex- to express His fruit in your life. Love, joy, peace, patience. I'm going to read it slower because they're like, that's what I need. Love. I need love. I need joy. I need peace. Who needs peace right today? So, Holy Spirit, right now I'm asking that you would nail these people with your peace to prove and to show that you are Lord over their lives in Jesus' name. Here we go. So, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faith, and self-control. But also expect the Spirit of God to manifest his gifts in your life. Every single person that you meet who is sick, you should say, God, are you having me pray for them for healing? Because I believe and expect the fruit uh, excuse me, the gift of your spirit to move. If I see someone who is needing clarity in life and wisdom, God, would you move the prophetic gift to give me insight to hear your voice so I can express a word of love for them in this season, right? I don't know about you, but the greatest way I feel loved by somebody is when they were to speak a word of God into my life. I feel loved by them, and I feel loved by God. It's a win-win, right? <clears throat> So again, why is this important for our conversation? Because I believe our level of conviction around the person and work of the Holy Spirit determines our effectiveness in kingdom ministry. Either I get out of his way and he moves, or I get in his way and I crimp the hose and impede his flow in my life. It's why Jesus told them, wait in Jerusalem. I'm going to add some words to him because you can't do it in your own strength, boys and girls. There's men and women right there in the top room, just praying to God, waiting. Wait there before you go on mission. Because if you go on mission to Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth without receiving my spirit, it's going to be really bad. not going to go good. It's going to go terrible, as a matter of fact. Just please wait. There were goners being effective and incapable with that. In my opinion, it's imperative we have a biblical theology around the person, work, empowerment, and baptism of the Holy Spirit. But without it, God can't use us in our most effective way. But with it, release, surrender to him. He can do anything he wants to through us. And the scripture says we can do the things that Jesus did and even greater things than these because he's leaving and sending his spirit. All right, here we go. That's verses 1 uh, through 41. Either I'll talk about those other ones really hardly at all. Here we go. As we, as we move forward, I want to state that I believe God empowers us for ministry as his witnesses. Remember, we named that with Peter, verses like 6 through 41. He proclaims the gospel. We see it all the way through those first seven chapters. We see it all the way to the end. God empowers men and women to be witnesses, to tell of the truth of who Jesus is, so that people can respond to it. But, and this is where we get to this morning in 42 through 47, I also believe he empowers us to live in community and do life with the family of God. Here's the point. Did you hear this? The Spirit's empowerment was as much for the lost and how we relate to them as much as the Spirit's empowerment is necessary for this to work. We can never be the church and be the family of God and do the things that God's called us to do with one another and the things we're going to read if we're not empowered by God's Spirit. And that's really important. We always think about the empowerment for the out here. 
I'm talking about being empowered to be shepherds of one another. It's holistic in nature. That's why it's, it's I love it. It's right. Holy Spirit happens, and we see stories of being witnesses, and we see a beautiful story of being family together. Okay? All right. So the idea of community and family is all about loving our neighbors, right? Sacrificing for them and enjoying, listen, and enjoying them holistically. My favorite moments with brothers, man, is when I laugh so hard, Coke comes out of my nose, right? Some of my most holy moments when I can talk about, I have a memory right now sitting around a fire pit just making fun of this group of guys, and we're laughing so hard I can't breathe. I'm literally sorting the snow, Coke like, this is a holy moment, right? This is an Acts 2, 42 to 47 moment, praise God, right? So let's look at these verses here, 42 to 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs, like the miracles. They're doing miracles. Y'all filled with many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers, all of them were together, had everything in common. Thousands of people by now, right? They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved, right? These verses paint the picture of what I used to call growing up body life. We else used that phrase back in the day. We're going to do some body life this morning. It was like time to share and what's going on in life and pray for one another and care for one another and love on one another. That's right? considered body life. So verse 42 is just a simple picture, simple picture of body life for them, how they cared for them, how they did life together. I love it. I'm going to go through these real quick. You'll talk about more of them in your small group. But apostles' teaching, apostles' teaching, not talking about the Bible because it didn't exist yet. The New Testament didn't exist. All they has the Old Testament, right? But I think it's this. Jesus said in John 14, 26 on the screen, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. It was the apostles closest to Jesus. It was the ones that he spoke secrets to, right? And I believe that when that, all of a sudden when they're filled with God's spirit, they just remembered and began to proclaim everything that Jesus had shared with them. And it became the central point for the church. And in time, ultimately, we got to share some of those things. And it became the New Testament for us, right? It's a beautiful piece. They literally just took some of these teachings, focused themselves around it. And after Jesus left, right, he used them. Them to speak through number two and it's going super fast i know fellowship the greek word here we use it growing up in the 80s is koinonia right it's a rich and penetrating word and this is important it speaks to a deep ongoing intimate and familial everybody say family thank you familial relationship with jesus and the rest of the body of christ koinonia May, and koinonia and giving away our possessions, I think maybe the two hardest things in all of Acts. Two of the hardest things for us to get our head around and to engage, they both necessarily require a supernatural work of God's spirit. Koinonia is not friendship as we know it today, but instead a deep, rich, committed relationship. Listen, akin to how you view and relate to your blood family. 
stated clearly they saw their blood family and their Jesus family with the same sense of responsibility. And that's hard. It's just what it meant. And I look at that one and go, that should make us like, oh, do I do that? With the people sitting right next to me. Tim Keller describes it this way. It's on the screen. The early church's fellowship or koinonia, this is powerful. Think about it. Take a picture of it. Was the engine that drove its success in impacting its surrounding community of unbelievers. Wasn't the signs and wonders, he believes. He thinks it was the actual fellowship. He says, goes on to say, so radical and astonishing was, I love this phrase, was this generosity of unreasonable proportion that those on the outside clamor to discover what was at its core. This curiosity opened hearts to the gospel and not only succeeded in converting small pockets of observers, but ultimately transformed the Roman Empire, arguably the most influential structure in history, and changed it from a harsh, cruel, pagan society into a compassionate and charitable one. He would say, listen, y'all get it. Have y'all ever been someplace and like miracles are happening and you go for a minute, the people aren't nice, so you leave? I have. But people, man, when I go places, people love me and think I'm amazing, tell me how awesome and pray for me and provide for me, I stay forever. That's what's getting at here. It wasn't just the miracles. It was the community. It's the key. Third, breaking of bread. Some see it as a Jewish fellowship meal. Others see it as an agape feast. These are all things part of the early Jewish church. Still others see a celebration of the Lord's Supper, and others just see it as just doing a meal together. Because we don't know exactly what Luke means. It's not really clear. I like to think of a little bit of all of them mixed together. So what I'm about to read to you on the screen is going to be kind of what all of it looks like mixed together, okay? Here we go. People... So breaking of bread, people being so devoted to the family of God that they would invite people to their homes and do life together. I like to think they would gather, express a mutual love for one another, remember the work of Jesus in their life. I like to think they would eat together and would laugh about life, celebrate the intimacy they had with Jesus and with one another. I like to think it was a celebratory time of remembering the sacrifice of Jesus, receiving the blessing of knowing his power was still present with them. The power that raised Jesus from the dead. Like I got convicted when I was reading this the other day. I was like, oh, man. Wow. Holy I literally said, God, I, I want that. I apologize, Lord, for getting so wrapped up in my own life, my own busyness. Repented of my busyness, because I don't know about you, but my busyness always gets me in the way of hearing God's voice. And so, God, I want to I I be this. I want to be this. God, help me. Number four, all right, <clears throat> number four, um, prayer, communal prayer. This is not just praying like your own individual prayer life, specifically talking about communal prayers. What we see in Acts 2, it's also what we see in Acts chapter 4, right? They have this moment and they come together. Togetherness was important. Prayer here is not talking about your individual prayer life. It's talking specifically about doing communal prayer, getting a group of people together and praying 
together, going after Jesus together, praying through issues. Again, the keys, talking to God and doing it with others. Luke names these four activities as the primary expression of the early church. Listen, and these are only all possible in their fullness through the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the work of God's Spirit and the freedom of God's Spirit to move in your life. Okay? Verse uh, 43 just talks about signs and wonders. Signs and wonders. So signs and wonders, don't overthink it. Just think about all the miracles that Jesus did. Okay? All the miracles that Jesus did. And then think about all the miracles you're about to read in chapters 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7. Those are all the signs and wonders. So what are they? All the healings, right? All the miracles, prophetic words, the casting out of demons, right? All of these things were prevalent in the early church, right? They were signs and wonders. Here's the thing. Never forget this. A sign always points to something, right? So I call it signs. Signs and wonders. What do they point to? They point to Jesus. That's the whole point. Signs and wonders are to point to something, and they always said, it's to Jesus. Remember the next chapter, Peter and John are going to heal this guy. And people are like, oh, my gosh, you're miraculous. You're crazy. This is amazing. Like, do you think it was our strength that did this? Are you kidding me? It was Jesus, y'all. In fact, you need to repent and you need to repent, right? It's whatever. So it's this beautiful piece, the signs and the wonders. Don't forget John 3, 2, Nicodemus said, no one, look at Jesus and said, no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with them. Remember the first two weeks we said Luke is trying to legitimize the early church as an actual and factual religion in this day and time. And it's a charismatic legitimation, legitimizing the church by showing that God was with them and doing the things that they were doing only through him and nobody else. He was legitimizing the entire Christian movement through signs and wonders. He legitimized the early Christian movement. Verse 40 through 45, and then I'm going to be done this morning. So if you fell asleep, you can wake up, wake back up. Good morning. It's good to see you. Here we go. Verse 44 and 45. I'm just going to kind of pull out just these three specific phrases that we take from this to kind of get the heartbeat of both verses. All things in common. So all the church and all things in common sold possessions and they gave to anyone who had need. Super simple, right? All things in common sold possessions gave to anyone who had need. So in Acts, Luke paints a picture, right, in all, of, in all of Acts, Luke paints a picture of two primary relational expressions of the early church. First one we've already talked about, living on mission, right, relationally with those who don't know Jesus. But the second is caring holistically for those who are believers, I think of all the things the Spirit empowered the church to do in Acts, I believe this is the biggest and probably most difficult for every human being, especially in today's Western world. This includes a radical view of money. It includes a radical view of possessions. It includes a believer's personal responsibility for those in the church who were in need. Listen, press pause. I'll be done by 1120 at the latest. This is not philosophical teaching. 
This is an actual expectation of the early church and a description of what it means to live in spiritual community with one another. That's why it's so hard. Because I don't know about you, I like my truck. 2016 GMC truck, got a great deal in it, and I enjoy driving it, right? And enjoying driving it, if Adam got in trouble, here, Adam, raise your hand real quick. Here's Adam. If Adam got in trouble on a Sunday, on a week, and I lost my, and, I, and God said, I want you to sell your truck, take that, or just give it to him. Just take your possession and give it to Adam. It would take me about 40 days of prayer and fasting to totally believe and agree with and obey Jesus. Just kidding, you know what I'm saying, right? So I'm asking that when I read through this and talk about it, I don't want you to make it a philosophy that's something distant. I want you to put yourself into the early church and ask how you would handle this. Now, the thing I want to say about this is in this world, it was a, what we see is the Holy Spirit speaking and creating a mental posture and a heart posture that was a fruit of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's super fascinating. We don't see in Scripture where the apostles asked them to do this. The apostles just taught probably some, some familiar stories, right? Luke 16, 19 through 31, the story of Lazarus and the rich man, right? Remember Lazarus dies and who's poor and goes to heaven. Lazarus, excuse me, the rich man goes to hell and is like, Father Abraham, would you please have him give me some water? Would you have Lazarus go back to earth and tell my family members to be more generous and to give up what they have? Or poor little Zacchaeus, right? Luke chapter 19, had no friends. He had no spiritual community. Why? Because he had made an idol of money and money was more important to him than family or relationships. And he had to die to that or the story of the rich young ruler. Who likes that story in America? Nobody. How do they get to this place that is selling everything? Guys, it was simply a work of the Holy Spirit for a people who were surrendered wholeheartedly to him and saying, it's not mine, it's yours. It's powerful. Both stories and this language tells a story of Jesus' followers that we cannot be whole and complete as believers until we allow God's Spirit to sensitize us to a heart of obedience to the needs of our destitute brothers and sisters and respond in a loving, practical, and sacrificial way. Luke's telling, this is important, Luke's telling of the story in Acts 2 and again in Acts 4. Luke is making a clear point. The church in Acts, it is the biblical expression of Jesus' heart for Christian community around money and possessions. If you've ever read through Deuteronomy 15, 4 through 11, it is the fulfillment of of that prophetic word given to who the church or the Jews were supposed to be, the people of God were supposed to be. Go read it for yourself sometimes. I'll leave you with this quote from New Testament and Jesus-loving theologian David De Silva. 
He has another big book on Intro to New Testament that I love. And speaking of these verses, he says this will be on the screen. It's a long one. Before an individual can respond to the gospel like Zacchaeus, he or she must unlearn the definitions of enough and sufficient that our society offers and learn a definition that is truly in keeping with human need rather than human wants and expectations. We must learn, this is the heartbeat, we must learn that to love our neighbor as ourselves, we must use our possessions as much for our neighbor's good as for our own. David did a mic drop and walked off on that one. This is a work of God's spirit in their lives. It wasn't something they did in their own strength, but it was something they had to submit and surrender to. It is the actual outcropping of true fellowship in koinonia as it's defined in the New Testament. Now, unfairly, I'm going to leave you with that. I should, if I were a really good pastor, we talk for another 35 minutes, right? And I would walk you through, what are the practicals of that mean? And what does that mean? Do I give my money all of it away to people right now? No, we'll talk about that in a few weeks. You can come back when we cover, the, I think it's the first, last weekend of October, I'll be covering the story of Ananias and Sapphira. It's going to be a good one. And we're going to talk about this because this is the heartbeat right here a voice of learning about that in the story of Ananias and Sapphira. But there are practical pieces what I'd rather leave you with, rather than me leading you to the truth of what all of this means. I would just love for it to, I'd love for you to get super uncomfortable this morning with it. I hope you're squirming in your seat a little bit. I hope you're not defending how you live, right? That's what we do in America. We'll just defend ourselves rather than say, Jesus, do I need to learn something here? And then let them speak into places. Another book to go read, Tammy would attest, Money, Possessions, and Eternity by Randy Alcorn. Right? Is that on the screen? Sorry. Money, comma, possessions, comma, and eternity. It's kind of a treatise on how we view all of this. Right? I don't agree with everything in it, but probably because I'm super uncomfortable with it. Right? No, just kidding. It's like this super great teaching that gives some practical, biblical foundation for stewardship. And how do we handle money? How do we handle our finances? How do we handle investments? How do we handle all of these pieces? And it gives a good, just gospel-centered, in my opinion, view on money, possessions, and how it affects eternity. Okay? All right. That's where I want to leave you this morning. That's where I want to leave you. I know I said a lot. I know I said a lot left a lot unsaid. That's always the nature of studying scripture for 40 minutes. Um, but I do encourage you to use this as a catalyst into your own time. Go order these books, take some time and pray, go read scripture, just go read scripture itself. Go to BibleGateway.com and just put in money into the search engine and just see what pops up and go learn about it, right? Put in the word community or put, there's no, put in the word fellowship. Just see what happens and just kind of learn about those pieces. Again, what I want you to hear me say, and the ministry team can come forward, and we're going to end our time in prayer and worship, but the key for us is a theology of the baptism of the Holy Spirit because it's for us and for other people. It's about making us empowered to be witnesses 
and it empowers us to do fellowship and to do life with one another. In that empowerment, right, it empowers us, I believe, to go do signs and wonders. I believe that you've been empowered to go do the things that Jesus did. Right? I think all of you should be praying for sick people to get healed. I think you should be listening to God's voice to be able to speak into someone's life, whatever it may be. Julie, you can come forward. I see you kind of going back and forward. You can come. You're free. So all these pieces, Jesus is empowering you. And let me just say this for all of my revivalists out here. What we've read this morning of being witnesses, of living in community and doing life together, that is when we know revival has come. It will look like Acts 2. Let's pray. Father, I just now hand all of this over to you, and I thank you that your grace is sufficient to lead and to speak and to train God. I just... I know I talked for a long time, longer than usual this morning, God, so I just pray that you would allow the words to hit in our hearts that need to hit this morning. God, if there's somebody here who says, I've never had peace, and it's because they're not a believer, because I don't have the fruit of God's spirit in them, I just pray this morning you would save them in Jesus' name. I pray right now that you would convict them. They would so know this is the morning they should give their lives to Jesus. I pray for those, God, who are longing for signs and wonders without living, loving their neighbor. I pray you convict them this morning. And for God, for those who are afraid to express signs and wonders, I pray that you would give them the boldness to step into the fullness of your spirit today. Lord, we want to be the Acts Church. We just do. We want to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. We want to love you with all of our heart all of our soul, and all of our mind. And we want to witness to you wherever we go and see people turn to you, Jesus. So we give it to you. Lead us, guide us, and direct us in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.